A little boy was standing at the end of an escalator. The sales lady asked, son, are you lost? No, ma'am, I'm waiting for my chewing gum, gum to come back. In a sense, this funny story, this funny conversation between the sales lady and this little boy illustrates how the world sees Christians, how they see them as foolish for the faithful hope they have of, of we have of Jesus' return. See, just as that little boy believed that the escalator would return his chewing gum, we believe that Jesus will fulfill his promise to return for us and be with him for all eternity. The question is, are you willing to be patient? Are you willing to be patient by staying faithful and obedient to him, regardless of how long it takes or the difficulties you might have to endure? Well, during the next few weeks, we'll be studying the prophetic words found in the Old Testament book of Malachi. This book contains a message that mustn't be overlooked by those of us who wish to encounter the Lord and lead others to do the same. Its message concerns God's loving and holy character and his unchanging and glorious purpose, purposes for his people. We'll see God calling us to, a genuine, to genuine worship, to fidelity to both himself and to one another, and to an expectant faith in what he's doing and will do in this world and for his people. So before I continue with the rest of this discussion, um, let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for all you're doing, all you've done, Lord. Um, you are amazing. You, you floor me sometimes, Lord. I, well, and I just worship you for all you've done, Lord. How faithful you've been. We thank you and we adore you for blessing us so much. Right now, we just ask that you speak to us this morning, Lord as we go through this introduction. May we have soft hearts, open minds to receive your word, Lord. Continue to keep us in the palm of your hand. Bless everyone here, Lord, and pour your Holy Spirit upon everyone here. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so for the most part, this is a big chunk of this is going to be just the main introduction into this book. I figured that before um, um, we move on to the first chapter of the reading, verse one, I wanted to, like I normally do with every single book, give you a good thorough introduction to this, to, uh, to Malachi. This is actually the first time I'm teaching it. Actually, this is the first time in the churches I've been to, I've never heard it actually be taught. I've, I've read through it several times in my own devotion, my own reading time, but um, I was sharing with Isaac earlier that, and he was, I think, sharing the same with me, that this is the first time we're actually going through it in our study. So um, I'm sure I'll be blessed, and, and you will as well. Um, Malachi's prophecy is particularly relevant to the many waiting periods in human history and to us as individuals, too. 
He enables us to see the strains and temptations of such times and how the subtle erosion of faith often ends in cynicism because it has lost touch with the living God. Nevertheless, he also shows us the way back to genuine, enduring faith. Faith in God who does not change, who invites us to return to him and never, never forgets when we respond to him. The book of Malachi, therefore, will challenge you, will challenge all of us to aspire to keep God first as you, as we patiently and enduringly wait the promise of his glorious return. F.B. Meyer wrote, God has set times. It is not for us to know them. Indeed, we cannot know them. We must wait for them. If God had told Abraham in Haran that he must wait all those years until he pressed, pressed the promised child to his bosom, his heart would have failed him. So in gracious love, the length of the weary years was hidden. And only as they were nearly spent and there were only a few more months to wait, God told them, according to the time of his life, of life, Sarah shall have a son. If God told all of you on the front end how long you would wait to find the fulfillment, your desire or pleasure or dream, uh, you'd lose heart. You'd grow weary in well-doing. So would I. But he doesn't. He just says, wait. I keep my word. I'm in no hurry. In the process of time, I'm developing you to be ready for the promise. I want to share with you again some information about this Old Testament book to give you some context. And why is that? Well, as I've said before, when you understand the who, the when, and the why, the Word of God has, greater, has a greater tendency to speak to you than um, at you. So let's begin by looking at some basic information about this book. The author and date. The final, this final book of the Old Testament, Malachi, received its name from its author and is believed to have been written between 568 and 433 B.C. That is a big stretch. There's a lot of scholars that have different time frames. So I found that rather than getting into all the details about why certain scholars pick certain dates, I decided to just make it this, you know, the earliest and the latest that they believe that this uh, book was written. Um, there's a lot of history to it, and I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i be covering a little bit of it, but I won't get you know, all into it because I know not everybody has an affinity for history like I do. But, um, but yeah, so this, that's when it was written um, because, again, the text provides no direct information concerning Malachi. We don't know much about him except the following. In Hebrew, the name comes from the word messenger, which points to Malachi's role as a prophet of the Lord, delivering God's message to God's people. Jewish tradition says that Malachi belonged to the great synagogue and was a Levite from Sufa in Zebulun. From the book's content, it's clear that he was, stead that he was a steadfast follower of God who was able to stand up against verbal opposition, even from his own people. Now, unlike the Old Testament prophetic books, Malachi, like Joel 
Obadiah, Jonah, Nahum, and Habakkuk, it doesn't begin with a time indicator. However, based on detailed information found in the book, there is wide agreement that, there was, that it was written after they had returned from, Babylonian, from the Babylonian exile and before Ezra's return to Judah. Prior to Malachi's birth, the people of Judah began to be exiled from the Promised Land in 605 BC and had returned from Babylon 70 years later. So by the time Malachi was around, by Malachi's time, they'd already been back in the land for more than 100 years and were looking for the blessings they expected to receive when they returned. Though the temple had been rebuilt, the fervor of those early returning Israelites gave way to a thorough apathy for the things of God. And I think that that can be, that's maybe for some of us that we're familiar with that. You know, there's this excitement at first, and then after some time, it just that excitement begins to wane because of many things, again, distractions. But um, this, by the time Micah wrote this book, that excitement of those early years was pretty much gone. This led to a rampant, this led to rapid corruption among the priesthood and a spiritual lethargy among the people. Malachi came at a time when the people were struggling to believe that God loved them. Rather than being proactive in their commitment to God, they instead focused on their unfortunate circumstances and refused to account for their own sinful desires or their own sinful deeds. So God pointed the finger back at them. And through Malachi, God told the people where they had fallen short of their covenant with him. They hoped to see the changes they needed. He hoped if, he, if they hoped to see the changes, they needed to take responsibility for their own actions and serve God faithfully according to the promise their fathers had made to God in Sinai all those years before. And that was a covenant. God said, I will do this if you do this. And they had broken their part of the covenant. One of the main reasons Christians walk away from following Christ is because things aren't going as quickly as they hoped or are not going as they expected. Like the apostles, when they were expecting Christ to usher in his new earthly kingdom, um, we do that sometimes too. We expect certain things from Christ that he's, you know, he, he didn't really say, especially in our lives. Again, those apostles, when they realized that it wasn't going to be as they thought, all their hopes were dashed into pieces. One betrayed him, another denied him, and still another doubted his physical resurrection. Maybe at one time or another, this has happened to you or someone you know. Well, let me share a poem I read that encourages me, and I hope that it encourages you. It's called Don't Quit. And there it says, When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile but you have a sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is queer with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a failure turns about. When he might have won, he had 
when, when he might have won had he struck it out, had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a fate and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night slipped down how close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out. The silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick out the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worst that you must not quit. If you want an example of what not quitting looks like, let me read to you a story of a woman who was absolutely dedicated and would not quit. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you want to read along, I'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Um, if not, you can just um, hear me out as I read the story. Um, but again, this is a great example of a woman who would not quit. She, had, she was dedicated. 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a man from Ramathaim Zophim in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, the Ephraimite. He had two wives, the first name Hannah and the second Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord, to the Lord of armies at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were, were the Lord's priest. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to each of his sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah. For he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival would then would taunt her with severely just to provoke her because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year when he went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. Hannah would keep and would not, would weep and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying, her husband, Elkanah would ask. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorstep of the Lord's temple. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me. And give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and through her lips, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, said to her How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. 
Don't think of me as a wicked, wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord. Afterward, they returned home to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, because she said, I requested him from the Lord. When Elkanah and all his household went up to make the annual sacrifice and his vow of offering to the Lord, Hannah did not go and explained to her husband, After the child is weaned, I will take him to appear in the Lord's presence and stay, and stay there permanently. Her husband Elkanah replied, Do what you think is best. And stay here until you've weaned him. May the Lord confirm your word. So Hannah stayed there and nursed her son until she weaned him. When she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour, and a clay jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house in Shiloh. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Please, Lord, she said. As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here before you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked for, I now give the boy to the Lord for as long as he lives. He is given to the Lord. Then he worshipped the Lord there. What an amazing story of a woman that was dedicated and would not give up. She prayed, she wept. She did what she had to do. She continued. She endured. And she kept her end, of the prom, her end of the bargain. Things may not be going as quickly as you want them. But you have to remember that God has a plan. And all he wants you to do is be patient. That is one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in my time in ministry, in my time as, as a Christian, is just to be patient. I know when we're young, we want things to happen right now. Even some of us adults have certain personalities where we want it right now. We, just, we can't be patient. We can't wait. But let me tell you, sometimes the Lord makes us wait for a reason. You know, right when I began, this, uh, or started thinking of planning this church, I'm thinking, oh, we can get a big building, all kinds of people are going to come, and the Lord said, hey, slow down a second, you know, and pretty much he did for like two, three years, made me wait, I was patient, he taught me how to be patient, and so it's past two, almost three years that we've been here, it was, it, it was a lot easier for me to, to just wait on the Lord, patient, because of what he taught me about that subject prior uh, to planting this church. So again, just remember that whenever you're feeling anxious or whenever you're feeling like, Lord, what's happening? How come you're not doing this right now? Just remember, he's, he's doing something. He's do, he is doing something. He's maybe doing something in the background um, that you don't know about. Maybe he's working in your heart. But patience is key. Patience is a virtue. 
So going back to, to Malachi, uh, the book of Malachi was written to correct the lax religious and social behavior of the Israelites, particularly the priest after returning from exile and the temple had been rebuilt. And it was in this context that the prophet commonly referred to as Malachi delivered his prophecy. The theme of Malachi is that God, the, the God of Israel loves the people of Israel and they are to live, they were to live in faithful obedience to him. Simply put, the book of Malachi is about how to behave in light of God's love. Now here are some of the major themes that you'll find throughout this book. You'll find the theme of God's love for Israel. God's rebuke of Israel for failing to live in light of his love. God's hatred for divorce. God's promise to restore Israel at the end of days. And a coming day of salvation and blessing. So why? Why was this book written? And why do we have it in our Bibles? Well, I see at least four purposes of this book. To remind us, to remind the people that Yahweh, that the Lord will do all that he can to help his people. To remind the people that the Lord will hold them accountable for their evil when he comes as judge. To remind the people, that the Lord will honor them for their faithfulness when he comes as judge. And to urge the people to repent for their evil, their evil for, for covenant, the covenant blessings to be fulfilled. Now, in general, this small book of only four chapters, the essential message is, you'll find the essential message of the Old Testament. And it will also show us the nature of God through Israel's covenant relationship with him. Here in this book, he indicts the religious leadership of the day of the day and chides God's people for their spiritual apathy and their negativity concerning God's plan for their future. It calls God's people to correct their wrong attitudes of worship by trusting God with genuine faith as living Lord. Furthermore, it warns the people of their immoral behavior toward one another and calls for repentance, lest they be terrorized by the coming of the Lord. Malachi's prophecy will also show us that as a community devoted to God, his people enjoy his protection and his provision. But failure to live in right, to live right before God, and one another will bring God's judgment. Thus, God's people could not expect the joy of his blessings if they continued to fail in their duties to him and to one another. However, before God would hold Judah in the balance of judgment, he would grant one last call of repentance for repentance. A forerunner would precede the fearsome day of the Lord and herald the coming of God's kingdom on earth. As many of you probably already know, Malachi is the last of the 12 minor prophets, closing the collection of the prophets. And 
in the Protestant canon, in, this, in our Protestant Bible, the entire Old Testament. This is, in the Catholic Bible, you will find other books in there, but in this, um, in our Protestant Bibles, in the Bibles that we have, that we read, this is the last book in the Old Testament. 400 years of silence ensues, ending with a similar message from God's next prophet, John the Baptist, proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, I'll cover it more when I get to that chapter, when I get there, but this is who Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, is referring to. He was the messenger of the Lord set to prepare the way for the first arrival of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But the messenger who comes suddenly to the temple is Christ himself in his second arrival when he comes in power and might. Now, you may also notice uh, several elements of the book. Uh, You may notice several elements of the book that are maybe familiar to you. For example, in some translations, Malachi 2.16 says that God hates divorce. Now, although God intended marriage to be a lifelong commitment, many people in churches have made this statement, this opening verse, or verse 16, an absolute statement and apply it to every situation. They don't take the time to really know what's going on in the marriage. They're not counseling. They're not, they're not understanding. And so some churches and some counselors will say, you know what, the Bible says God hates divorce. So don't do it. Again, not understanding the full situation. Now, although God intended marriage to be a lifelong commitment, and I absolutely believe that he, doesn't, he, he does hate it, because again, we have to remember spiritually, the union, the marriage between a man and a woman is a picture of Christ and his, and his church, Christ being the, the, the groom and the church being the bride. Many people and churches have made this an absolute statement and again apply it in every situation. Sadly, because of their lack of knowledge and God's love and their lack of knowledge of God's love and His Word, they've led women and children back to abusive relationships and in some cases even their death. Now, I feel strongly about this topic, about abuse. I absolutely believe that if a woman... Even a man or a child is being hurt, being abused by a husband, by a wife. You don't need to stay there. God doesn't want you in that relationship. You're that person doing you harm, is sinning against the Lord and is sinning against you. And I strongly advocate, would advocate anybody that's in that situation to leave. You don't have to divorce right away. You can just leave until he helps you, um, give you, until he gives you an answer for what you ought to do. But you don't need to stay there. You need, don't need to stay in that, in that house, in that relationship. Ephesians 5, 25 to 30 says this. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle 
or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 is often quoted in the context of teaching concerning, uh, of teaching concerning tithing and giving to God's work, even though that's not what the text is about. Now, in case you're wondering how this book will apply to you, now I'm going to begin to sum it up here, but in case you're wondering how this book will apply to you and the things you're dealing with in life, you'll be surprised by what God wants to tell you here, what God says in these four chapters. As with every single book and every single chapter, every single word, I, I obviously believe that God has a message for you. He wants to share some, some important truths to you through this book. Malachi spoke to the hearts of a troubled people, people whose circumstances of finance, uh, circumstances such as, fin- well, they have serious financial insecurities, religious skepticism, and personal disappointments that were similar, that are similar to those often experienced by God's people today. They were experiencing some of the same things we are. So if you've ever been broke and you don't know where you're going to get your next meal, if you've been, if you've had your doubts about your faith, this book will, this book will speak on it. If you had personal disappointments on either someone else, or maybe even on yourself, this book, uh, the words found here will, will speak to you. Again, there's a message here for you. Another thing you'll see through the, throughout this book is the greatness of God's love. It's expressed in Malachi in terms of his election and protection of Israel above all nations of the world. You see, since God served the interest of Judah out of his unchanging love, he required them now to live up to their end of the agreement with their obedience, with their loyalty, and their sincere worship. This love relationship between God and Judah is the model for how we, as Christians, are expected to treat other members of the redeemed community, how we ought to treat one another as a church and, as, and, and other Christians as well. Because of who we are in Christ, we are now required to be faithful in all our dealings with one another. Augustine said, what does it look like? Well, speaking of love, he said this, what does it look like? It's the hands that help others. Feet to hasten the poor and needy. Eyes to see misery and want. Ears to hear the signs and sorrows of men. This is what love looks like. And just like we learned in 1 Peter, Malachi will also show us that God isn't pleased when we disobey him, and he will repay those who disregard him. Now, as for God hating divorce, well, God takes the covenant marriage seriously, and he doesn't want it to be broken. We're to stay true to our spouses of our youth for our entire lifetime. 
Yes, it's true. God sees every one of our hearts. So he knows where our intentions are. Nothing can be hidden from him. He will return and he will judge and he will be the judge. But if we return to him, if you return to him, he will return to you. Throughout Israel's history, the nation failed and God called his people back to himself. And each time, Israel Israel would fail again and again and again, prompting the cycle to start over again. God's final word of the Old Testament concerns judgment for sin and testifies to our inability to love him without the help of his grace. You see, we need his grace. We need it. We can't. I'll tell you what, living without his grace, it's, it's hard, it's difficult. It's, I don't know how anybody, any Christian can live without his grace. We need it because it sustains us and it strengthens us when we're fallen, when we messed up, and it seems like it's impossible to get up. If that's where you're at, if that's where you've been at for a while, and you, you've fallen and you're like, Lord, I don't know, I, I don't want to come back. I'm just going to mess it up again. Lord, just going to be disappointed with me. No. His grace will sustain you. He will strengthen you to get back up and continue walking with Him. You just have to take hold of Him and just continue the walk that He started you in, in that obedience again. Do you struggle to follow God consistently? Malachi's call prompts us to live faithfully before God and offers hope that God is not yet done with extending mercy to us and to his people. He will always be there extending his grace, his love, his mercy. And he's offering it to you. He's given it to you. He will always offer it to you. You just have to be willing to accept it. And he won't be like, here's my grace. You want it? Well, too bad. Not for you. You're best up again. No just will always be there hands wide open come to me you just have to get up his grace will help you with that he's extending his mercy and love to you if you've never accepted it if you've never had it and want it today it's just you just have to i well i will lead you on a simple in a simple prayer to accept jesus christ as your lord and savior to op- if you want to open up your heart, if you're ready to do that, to open up your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him your Lord and Savior and, and live for Him, I will lead you in a prayer to do that right now. So wherever you're at, close your eyes, bow your heads. And just pray this with all your heart. Lord, Heavenly Father, Forgive me of my sins. 
I know that I've blown it and I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. And right now, I open the door to him, open the door to, of my heart to him. Fill me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. I accept your forgiveness. I receive it. Now help me, Lord. Give me the strength to walk by faith, Lord. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for making me your child. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you pray that, contact us. Let us know what's going on. We want to lead you in the next steps of faith. Um, but let us know. Um, welcome to the kingdom of God. For, for those of us that are here, again, I, I just wanted to go through a thorough good introduction of this book, as I mentioned in the beginning, so that you will be familiar as we start with this, uh, when we begin chapter one. Um, and maybe if you want to do your own little study at home, um, I have a lot more information. I, I could probably could have got another hour with all the information I had gathered on Malachi. But again, there's a lot of great information here that's going to be specifically for you. Um, I, again, I ask that you open, when you do come and hear uh, the word here in Malachi, that you just will be open to what God wants to say to you. There's a, um, there's a message, again, here for everyone. So with that, let's close uh, with a word of prayer. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for um, your word here. Thank you for the book of Malachi, Lord. Um, we look forward to, to learning from you, from hear, to hearing from you from this, from this book. Lord, um, you want to walk near to you, to walk closer to you, Lord. And I believe that this book will, will help us with that. Lord, may everyone see your hand on every letter that is written, every word that is on this in this book, every statement, every sentence, Lord. Keep us in the palm of your hand. Keep us in the shadow of your wings, Lord. Watch over everyone this week, Lord. Keep them safe. Keep their families safe, their friends, their wherever they may be also, Lord. May they be, be the salt and light. Be able to share in one way or another the message of your Son, even if it's through their actions, Lord. May the gospel be preached everywhere. Lord, we look forward to this next time of, of fellowship. And may we just uplift one another. May we encourage one another. And may we just glorify you. Thank you and praise you. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.